1: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's
2: 12.03 and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. In for Rob Hart today, I'm Jim Goodis. The Noon Business Hour presented by the village of Bedford Park. Disney posts better than expected results and announces a price hike for its streaming service, and we'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, inflation. The latest report shows that rising prices and the consumer price index out today, the producer price index, I should say. And we're joined by Paul Christopher, the head of global market strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. So, Paul, your take on the numbers today.
3: Yeah. Hi, Jim. Uh, the numbers today encouraging, just like yesterday's consumer prices were encouraging. The The rate of inflation dropped off a bit. Uh, it, it, you're seeing it in commodity prices, oil, gasoline, as you all mentioned earlier, uh, some of the metals like copper and aluminum, but not yet food. So we think it's going to be a tough sled down to that two or three percent that the Fed Federal Reserve considers to be its acceptable long run inflation rate. It's just going to be a long war to get there.
2: So what do you think this means moving forward in terms of, uh, you know, it, it's looking like are things getting better? Is it just at this point sort of a uh, a temporary thing? For example, you know, we talked about gas prices and we talked about that they're coming down, but uh, we're seeing some indications that they're just going to head right back up. Uh, overall on prices, how is that looking?
3: Yeah, so there's a couple of things working here. One is that uh, commodity prices are still coming off of their extreme overshoot Back in March, a couple of weeks after the war began in Ukraine, a lot of commodity prices shot up. They're finally normalizing back down to where demand is. And that's a second piece, which is that, as you mentioned, demand for gasoline, demand for some commodities is cooling a bit with the economy. But but going forward, will, will the economy continue to cool? Yes, we think it will. But that's not going to push your gas prices much lower because supplies are still tight. Actually, a report out last week showed that U.S. drillers are still taking down rigs they're not putting them up they're not drilling more they're taking them down the economy just doesn't look that good on a go forward basis so inflation yeah good news today good news yesterday don't look for it to happen that way uh, in, the, in the months ahead
2: so what would be the advice for investors based on what you're seeing now and what you're expecting as we move forward what's what's the best approach here
3: so the s p is up like 15 percent off of its lows in uh, in June, uh, and that's not unusual in what we call a bear market, which is a sustained period of stock price declines. You can see these these kind of temporary flash in the pan rallies, even sometimes lasting weeks and weeks before they finally run out of gas uh, (pun intended), uh, and and then they start back down again. And we think ultimately that will be two two factors that will that will turn this market back lower. One one will be inflation itself, which is not going to come off as as quickly as people are hoping. And secondly, the Federal Reserve recognizing that is going to keep interest rates rising continuously, we think, into early next year. That one-two punch is probably going to put us in recession. So investors here really need to take advantage of this rally. If they're holding smaller companies' equities, if they're holding international equities, use this rally to liquidate those and, uh, and move back into U.S. large-cap, mid-cap companies. Uh, we like health care. We like information technology. We like energy. They generate cash. They'll pay dividends, we think. uh, And that's just a safe place to be uh, while this economy finally turns lower.
2: That's Paul Christopher, the head of Global Market Strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Thanks, Paul. As always, coming up, the cost of Disney Plus going up.
0: Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: Disney is raising the price of its Plus streaming service as it beats both the top and bottom lines with its quarterly report. And we're joined by Tom Lason, the media analyst at Seattle, in Seattle. And uh, let's go now to Tom. And uh, so, Tom, uh, let's talk about Disney and why it's doing this and why it's doing this strategy. Yeah, Jim, you know, it, uh, the top
4: and
5: bottom line look, look great, um, but that's because of a whopping 72% increase in third-quarter attendance at theme parks. Um, But when you look at Disney streaming, um, the subs look great. Disney Plus now has 152 million subscribers, and they beat their third-quarter expectations by about 5 million. And when you combine Hulu with ESPN Plus, with Disney, we're talking about almost a quarter billion subscribers, which is just a massive number putting the Disney properties into a virtual tie with Netflix here's the catch go uh, though all that streaming still, if you can believe it, produced a one point billion uh, a one point one billion dollar loss in the third quarter, which hardly seems possible but we've talked about this before, you know production and distribution and scaling costs are high and um, so here comes an ad strategy that I can fill in a little for you too all
2: right what we've talked about you know different strategies that the streaming services are using in order to uh, you know, trying to find different ways to to monetize Disney mm-hmm. in its position and and from what it has to offer and that sort of thing does that put it in a you know better position to do this than you know say a Netflix or or some other streaming service that you know might be looking at ads as part of its revenue structure.
5: It should because Disney brings such an incredible library to the table to start its streaming um, service. And like you, you know, we heard the subs are high. So, with that, however, is this lack of profitability. They think they can be profitable by 2024, but here's what it's going to take they're going to start an advertising supported version of Disney Plus. Um, as it works toward profitability in that vertical, in December, um, the version of Disney that will have ads um, is going to bump up to 10.99, uh, uh, and the that's going to stay. Actually, that stays the same with what it currently is. But the ad-free version will bump up to 10.99. So you're looking at a price increase there for for something without ads. Hulu is going to do the same thing. And the big question remains, Jim. And all this is how much pricing power do the streamers really have? Will a recession or even, like, infl- you know, inflation pressures on the household cause subs to start pulling in their horns a little bit on streaming services? And that's going to be interesting to see because the research says you know people will subscribe to three and four, and recently that's bumped up to four and five. But uh, the question is, is there a limit, and how long will people continue to subscribe to services where the the streamers collect on both ends, not only collecting your subscription fee, but collecting from advertisers. It's really sort of cable television all over again, and it will be interesting to see how the very young react to that.
2: All right, that's Tom Lason, the media analyst out of Seattle, Washington. Thank you for your perspective on Disney's future strategy, where you can pay for Disney or you can pay a little bit more and not necessarily have to watch ads. By the way, he's on Twitter at Tom Lason. Up next, to look at financial markets through the lens of a contrarian. And now let's check in and talk about the fact that investors have turned bullish on stocks in a real hurry as markets have marched higher since their mid-June lows. And joining us to throw a wet blanket on the optimism, Mark Holbert, the stock market contrarian and investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com in Washington. So what's going on with investors?
4: Well, it turns out that, as you mentioned there in the intro, they became uh, very bullish very quickly in the last couple of weeks, and that's one of the reasons why the market uh, has put on a really impressive rally. But if you go back in history and look at those rallies that were truly the beginning of a new bull market, in contrast to those rallies that were really what we call bear market traps, they were just uh, luring gullible investors in before a resume uh, of the major decline. If you look at the distinction between the two of them, the bear market traps were distinguished by an eagerness to turn bullish very quickly. And that's why I think uh, a number of us, not just myself, from a contrarian point of view, are worried about what's happened recently, is that we've seen such an eagerness to jump back on the bullish bandwagon. And, And that's not typically what you see at the beginning of a new bull market. So your advice
2: for investors at this point, um, you know, while we're seeing this optimism and we're we're seeing this, what would you say is the best approach if you were going to advise an investor right now on what to do and how to proceed?
4: Well, that's a great question. And indeed, I should preface everything I say by this is really, uh, we're looking at, you know, very short-term movements for which, you know, all we can do is have uh, an educated guess. And it's not something on which you should be betting major portions of your, uh, your, your retirement portfolio or your financial well-being. So this is just a guess as to where we are. Most of our, our listeners, I would guess, should be focusing on the long term and uh, probably should have uh, stayed the course during this bear market, as a number of us were saying all along. If you're not fully invested or at least as invested in equities as you would like in, in a normal period of time, what I suggest is that people figure out a plan as to how to, to get there. It may be that you, I mean, here's one example, divide your your uh, whatever portion that you're short relative to where you want to be in the stock market, divide it into four segments and have a rule. Say if the market does this, you'll put in the first of those four segments. The market does that, you'll put in the second and, and come up with a set of rules that deal with all possibilities because the market can do anything as we know. But the key thing is to have a plan. What happens is that most of us don't have a plan. We then react after the fact. So as uh, indeed what we're talking about today, the market goes up, all of a sudden people decide to put more money in the market. And that typically is one of the worst things to do. You're always chasing what happened yesterday and the market can turn on a dime and cause you to end up losing a lot of money.
2: That's Mark Holbert, the stock market contrarian and investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and
1: MarketWatch.com.
0: Call from mom, answer it This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: It's 12.30, and welcome to the second half of the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Jim Goodison for Rob Hart. An armed intruder tries to get into the FBI office in Cincinnati. There's been a rise in violent threats seen on social media since the federal raid on the Trump estate this week. On Technology Thursday, the latest chatbot from Meta can convincingly mimic how humans communicate on the Internet. There's a comeback in the cryptocurrency market. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow is up 207 points, the S&P 500 up 23, and the Nasdaq's ahead by 20 points. AccuWeather says we'll have a breezy day. We'll have a mix of clouds and sun, highs ranging from 74 at the lake to 78 inland. Right now, it's 76 under Partly Sunny Skies at O'Hare at 1231. An armed man approached the FBI Cincinnati office, fled after being confronted by agents and later exchanged gunfire in a standoff with law enforcement. Officials said the man was wearing body armor and that the shots were fired on a highway. Interstate 71 is closed in both directions and locked down for a mile radius near the scene. More threats of violence against federal authorities have been seen on social media since the search of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate this week.
5: Calls for a civil war have intensified online in the wake of the FBI's raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Far-right extremists have pushed deep state conspiracy theories across social media platforms. But Rita Katz of SITE Intelligence Groups tells CBS News that while rhetoric online resembles what she saw ahead of the January 6th Capitol insurrection, we have not yet seen the dis course reach the same volume and prevalence Kat says quote this is not a january sixth level situation nicole skanga cbs news washington
0: it's twelve thirty-two. compounding your interest with an economy of words this is the wbbm noon business hour
2: stocks are trading higher and we're joined by chris johnson the market strategist at johnson research group in cincinnati and so chris your take on the markets today and why they're reacting as they are Well, we're getting a little bit of follow through from
6: that PPI number this morning. Obviously, CPI made everybody feel good that we're seeing inflation at least possibly reach one of those peaks. So you're seeing money move in. Today, the PPI comes in, kind of tells us that the the things that are going into things that are being made that we purchase are going down, or at least those inputs. But we're reaching a little bit of a tipping point with the market, a little bit of those overbought uh situations from a technical perspective on the nasdaq 100 on the s p 500 so i think over the next couple days with this good news behind us you're going to see people kind of start to look at the rally that we've seen over the last month or so as a do i want to take a little bit of cash off the table here especially in those hot tech sectors So a little bit of thinking that'll be done, a little digesting over the next week. And remember, we've got a whole other month before we hear anything from the Fed. So there's a lot of time between now and then in terms of big events that are going to drive the market higher. It's going to be on its fundamentals alone, earnings seasons winding down. So watch out for a little bit of a vacuum here, maybe some profit taking.
2: So is that something that if we see a a downward trend that maybe we shouldn't be necessarily that concerned about it because it's just kind of a natural reaction to, what we've seen on the markets, how the markets have reacted to the news, and, and now, as you say, this vacuum, which, of course, nature and perhaps investors also poor.
6: Right. Well, let's think of it from two different time frames here um, as we look at that. That's a great question. Over the next couple of weeks, I think it's a little more natural. It's natural to see people look at a 20% run in stocks and say, especially the condition we're in, we're still down 20% for the year. So if you look at that, it's natural for people in some areas of the market, obviously. It's natural for people to take some profits. Winding that back and taking a look at this from 10,000 feet or maybe even 20,000 feet and where we are in terms of the market's long-term cycle, a 20% rally still fits the mark for a bear market rally. So in other words, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, Any type of, uh, I don't want to say hotter than expected, but any type of data that shows us that inflation is not backing off, or even more importantly, um, anything that shows us that the economy is slowing down over the next month is going to put investors more on edge, And I think the Fed is probably going to stick with being a little more aggressive than anybody's pricing in right now. 50 basis points is what the uh, Fed fund futures are telling us today uh, for the meeting in September. I'm not going to be surprised listening to what the Fed heads are saying over the last uh, couple of days that we still see three quarters of a percent because they really need to make sure they tamp down inflation here. So longer term perspective, I think we are still looking at the potential that we are in a long term bear market. And this has just been a great bull or bear market rally, which they happen all the time.
2: So it's, uh, it's not, you know, this is great. Enjoy it while you can. Just uh, take that into account as, as you look forward. And if you, uh, are, are you concerned that maybe some people might be saying, ah, look at that, we've turned things around. And because of that, you know, maybe there might be, uh, in some cases, too much optimism, which then, of course, can have that boomerang effect of, oh, gosh, what happened?
6: You just nailed it. So if you look at what we've seen move over the last couple of weeks, it started with some short squeezes, and that's natural to see happen. But the last week, when you look at Bed Bath & Beyond, and you look at BlackBerry, and you look at these stocks that we tagged as meme stocks and Reddit stocks in November of 2021, they have suddenly started to get excited again. And you've got that feeling that there's a bit of a FOMO rally in place here. So you just nailed it. There is a little bit of optimism From a granular perspective, yeah, I can take it. But from the larger trend perspective, I think investors have turned a little too optimistic. And that boomerang effect is a real risk right
2: now. That's Chris Johnson, the market strategist at Johnson Research Group out of Cincinnati. Thanks, Chris, so much. Up next on Technology Thursday, a look
0: at Meta's AI gone awry. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues
2: it's technology thursday and this afternoon we're learning about the latest chatbot developed by facebook parent company meta and we welcome paul hockman the president of humongous media former tech editor for the today show out of cambridge massachusetts so paul what's going on with chatbot and meta
7: well chatbot is as as you can imagine from the name is essentially an ai driven algorithm that Tries to respond to inputs like questions that you or I might ask it in a human way, and uh, and Meta claims that it's getting better and better. This is Chatbot Three, I should point out, or excuse me, Blenderbot Three is the name of the what what this chatbot is. Blenderbot Three, and there have been a one and two. They claim that it's improved dramatically, uh, specifically thirty one percent improved on conversational tasks, factually incorrect a lot less, forty seven percent less often, and so on. But basically. It's an AI driven chat function that allows uh, a company theoretically to set up conversations with customers in a way that feels and seems human to the customer. That's the goal.
2: Now, how good is it? And I guess there have been some concerns raised about uh, that. It might be so good in some cases that it can actually fool us and not necessarily in a good way.
7: Well, near term, uh, just, Put it kindly. We don't have to worry about that quite yet.
2: <laughs> um, well,
7: that's good. In other words, it is. It is. Yes, it is actually incredibly accurate. I don't want to make light of what the engineers have pulled off there, at Meta. They've done an amazing job. Um, but the, the, for example, the the uh, AI that drives it and the uh, Blenderbot three itself thinks of itself as sentient. In other words, it thinks it's thinking, uh, and it responds to questions about its behavior uh, by by saying, quote-unquote, things like, the fact that I'm alive and conscious right now makes me human, as well as having emotions and being able to reason logically. In other words, that is what came out of this bot. Now, anybody reading that would say, wow, that sounds pretty realistic. But the challenge is that it's Pulling all of its data, its sort of AI-driven information and the learning it does from online resources that have been sent it, it had been sent to by meta-engineers. Results, whatever those resources are, are flawed. In other words, people have beliefs that the earth is flat. Well, if that went into the uh, algorithm, well, then the, the chatbot is going to think the earth is flat until it corrected otherwise. The point is that there are plenty of errors, plenty of mistakes. Uh, we're not quite at the point where you're going to fool anybody thinking it's a real person.
2: So at this point, is it so somewhat obvious and somewhat not universal enough that you know we we don't necessarily have to worry about it at this point, or is this something that we do have to watch out for and just you know have a little caution as, if we're interacting with these? Well,
7: here here are the pitfalls. I mean, it depends on what the chatbot is trying to accomplish. I mean, many of us have already interacted with, neither knowingly or not, but with basic chatbot functions and chatbots themselves when we're dealing with customer service. Say you're calling your uh, cellular carrier and the cellular carrier wants to know what is your issue. And the reason they stick a chatbot on you is because they want to save time uh, on the human beings who will eventually answer your questions. The chatbot is to interpret your inputs and be, oh, this person's interested in uh, fixing a technical problem. Well, then that gets shunted to an actual person. So the point of these chatbots is essentially at this point to intercept uh, and, to pre, and to pre-guess and to at where people are trying to go. That said, they make so many mistakes. Nobody is, and, and, and anybody interacting with these can get a sense quickly that they are just not aware of what you're saying. And this, by the way, when you import, there's a serious part of this. When you import tons and tons of public data, as Meta did, to give this uh, chatbot its basic background information, if you import it from, you know, the, the old uh, engineer saying garbage in, garbage out, well, if you get offensive stuff that went in, you're going to get offensive stuff coming out. So any company thinking about a chatbot as interacting with customers, beware, because those, those bad inputs can also impact the, uh, the experience.
2: That's Paul Hockman, the president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show out of Cambridge. Thanks, Paul. As always, join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come the latest on the crypto roller coaster ride. Money talks
0: as the WBBM noon
2: business hour continues. Well, if money talks, uh, Ether and crypto in general are speaking loudly. The Ether surging to a new two month high, Ethereum, while crypto making a comeback. And we welcome Bill Uliveri, the head of Cynical Capital Management, the owner in Glenview, and the website is cynicalcapital.com. So, Bill, let's talk first about Ethereum. What's going on there and why? Well, basically, Jim, it's it's an upgrade called the Merge. And
8: what it's going to do is it's going to change Ethereum from something called a proof of work to proof of stake. So what that really means is we're going from a version of American Idol to America's Got Talent. So in American Idol, that big TV show, you would have a couple of hundred million people dial in and vote who their favorite candidate is. That's kind of like proof of work, where it's a very democratic way of everybody having a voice, and you have this, these people called minors that are, are providing the network security. But in America's Got Talent, you have like five judges, and proof of stake is kind of like that. It's kind of like five judges, and each judge holds Ethereum, and they get to cast their votes. So it's it's kind of a good thing for Ethereum because it's really going to fuel and drive much greater adoption in Web 3.0. You know, people who create content, you know, artists and people doing non-fungible tokens will only pay pennies to mint and create their their content. Um, you know, on, on the blockchain. And it's going to save about 99.9%. It's proposed to be 99% more efficient in energy use because you don't have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not millions, of GPU graphical cards mining Ethereum. It's basically just something called a validator that can be done, say, at Amazon Web Services, you know, in any kind of cloud-based platform.
2: And in general, just at this point with everything else going on, for those of us who are not following the crypto markets every day. How mm-hmm. how how is crypto doing right now, and what are the current economic conditions? What do those mean for crypto, or, or or can we quantify it that way? That because things are the way they are right now, this is why you should consider or look at or maybe not look at crypto.
8: Well, you can say what is what does cryptocurrency look like today? It's like saying what does the internet look like, or what does email look like in 1996 or 1998, there's still, this is the future of technology. This is not going away. It's very, very new. And in terms of investing or speculating in cryptocurrency, you have to remember that it is still a growth asset class. It's technology. uh, It's very speculative, but the payoff could be very, very big. And, you know, Ethereum was really not designed to be a currency like Bitcoin or digital cash. It was designed to be an operating system where a program would run the same way everywhere all over the world. So you don't need uh, Apple iOS, Microsoft Windows, Linux, Unix, and uh, 200 other kind of operating systems. There's no more like PDFs and Word documents and Google um, Office documents. Everything runs uniformly and exactly the same as designed all over the world. So it's Extremely exciting. This is going to bring more productivity and the globe, you know, the earth just got a little flatter, you know, when we when we go to proof of stake and more and more companies use Ethereum as the backbone of their smart contracts in decentralized uh, web three point
2: All right. Thanks, Bill. Really appreciate the the explanation and giving us a, a really good way of looking at at crypto and especially Ethereum. That's Bill Uliveri, who is the owner of Seneco Capital Management in Glenview. Check out his website at SenecaCapital.com. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app